0: more afternoon everyone (laughs) more afternoon (laughs) where am i welcome to office hours i have my dear mentor friend and associate uh and partner in crime learn.blamebartled.com forward slash 60 day wait a second tell me what's going on now
1: 60 day. Well, we move from day to 60 day. There's a whole challenge here. You can actually set yourself up, you know, design a life that designed you in 60 days. That's what we're doing.
0: I like it. We've heard of 75 hard. We got 60 D-A-Y right there. The mindset mastermind, master himself. But I have someone I'm excited to speak to. Yes. This could might as well be a sales call because Paul Adrian is the co-founder and CEO of Vladecu. And he has the fastest video workflow system. And there's two things that are involved in this that I wanna learn more about. One, obviously a video workflow system, which the efficiency, effectiveness and statistical success of consistent persistent content today is so important. And, you know, I think that's my superpower is the consistency of content. Yep. But the word fastest just gets my uh, hairs on my arm, standing up because, you know, I just, things are so slow slow when it comes to video. video. (laughs) The files are so big.
1: Especially transferring video.
0: And when you're doing TV shows and I have the new Apple TV deal and I have multiple editors and graphic guys and everybody needs files um, and it is a complete cluster. So welcome, Paul. And I may call you Apostle Paul at the end for being a savior of mine. Uh, But give me an idea. Of what the differentiators in the flow, uh, the workflow, first of all, and then tell me how you attain uh, the fastest uh, moniker.
2: Well, it's about connecting all the pieces, right? Because when you think about video workflow, when you think about what your crews are doing, shooting video out in the field, putting it in a collaborative space uh, where you can access it, edit it, distribute it, um, typically that takes all these different vendor products, all these different pieces to make that happen. For example, if you're out in the field, shoot these great big files, you got limited bandwidth, you got to compress it, right? And that's one piece of software. And then there's umpteen acceleration companies, maybe you use one of them, maybe you build your own front end to that and you try to upload the video or FTP it, big pain in the neck. And then where do you go? And is it secure? And is it private? And does it plug into your workflow? And so, a lot of speed really is understanding where the video is coming from, where it's going, who you're sharing it with, and um, and putting all the pieces together and making it really, really super easy. So, just from an engineering standpoint, uh, how how have
1: you actually been able to put this all together? Because I mean, this is complex. Uh, but, you know, when you're looking at loss-loss structures and I mean everything that kind of goes into it. it, 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 it I'm assuming it's not a torrent, a BitTorrent sort of a thing. There's other stuff in play here.
2: So, so from an engineering standpoint, you know the, the really amazing thing that we have now. Of course, we have AWS, we have Google, we have these infrastructure providers, which are continually evolving. And you know, in addition to that, you have um, so many other technology companies that are all working together to beat each other and to try to make their systems um, better than others. And what we do is we come into this and look at it from your point of view, which is, what are you trying to do? And our customers by and large today are some of the world's largest media organizations. Um, My co-founder Jay Gurion, and I were both broadcasters for 20 years. So we understood intimately what it is, you know, to be out in the field on deadline, have to get your content back And, you know, the most important time of the day is 5 p.m. or 6 p.m., whatever that slot is, of what they called it. And if you miss slot, if the video got there too late, then everything you did that day up until the point was, you know, worthless. You just throw it all away. (laughs) You missed your deadline. And so, by and large, the challenge that we have is at the drop of a hat, Nobody knows what's gonna to happen tomorrow until it happens. And they send these crews out to you name it, you know, it could be Afghanistan, could be Iraq, could be, you know, at the stadium where there's 50,000 people all hitting their cell phone at the same point in time. And there's gonna be a crew there that needs to send video, you know, back to a collaborative space where their teams um, can access it. And for us, again, a big, big piece of what we do is, yeah, we have an application, it goes on your phone, it goes on your laptop, And what it does is it assesses bandwidth. You know, what is the bandwidth? Because it's different every time you hit it. It assesses video. What is your video? Um, You know, is it a great big file that you shot on a Panasonic or a Sony camera? Or now, really, an iPhone, you could shoot 4K, you know, cinematic video, which creates huge (laughs) files. Or is it maybe security video? If you're you know, covering a story and the police officers give you this security video that's highly compressed, what is the video? It comes in all shapes and sizes. And finally, you know, your device itself, your phone or your laptop, what are the resources on that device? And so we assess bandwidth, video, hardware device, and then we, in the moment, basically make a recommendation to that user you know, how to compress it, how to send it, you know, do you need to compress it at all? And then we provide the technology that does it. And everything we do on the front end, you know, whether it's compressed, not compressed, simultaneously compress it, send it, you know, UDP, TCP, however we send it, is based in the moment on what's going to work best to get it to the cloud. But then again, that's just that's just part of the journey, right? Because really it's about, it's about workflow. And where is it going? Is it going to the cloud? No, typically it's going through a firewall, you know, into a television station. Um, It's got to be delivered in the right format, because, you know, the industry that existed for decades was companies that sold by proprietary lock-in. You know, if you buy one piece of their system, you're stuck with them because they made it intentionally difficult to use other people's products. And so there's a whole industry of transcoders where you take a video in one format and you flip it into something else. So that you can inject it into these asset managers, you know, that are used at television stations and movie studios to, you know, access the content and edit it. And so for us, compression in the field, acceleration to the internet, um, letting the right people know, uh, having the right permission to the team so the right folks see it, and then getting through their, their firewalls that they set up because these stations are very protected and sticking it into their systems following the rules of that system itself and that you tie all that together and then you start looking at every every little leap in that chain and you try to take out every speed bump and that's what that's what provides the speed that our our customers really seek.
0: and you know obviously as an award-winning emmy award-winning journalist someone who's been in for two and a half three decades in the space working with huge broadcasting cable companies the landscape has changed dramatically. I've been blessed to be in the same or tangent space with you for three decades as well. And, you know, sometimes I pinch myself, you know, I just saw uh, a a red phone, you know, and I'm sitting here going, this can't even be possible. And I, and you're looking at the CEO of the world's first smartphone in 99. So I'm always looking for what's possible on a phone. Um, But it seems to me that Latakoo is not only uh, utilized for the bigger broadcasting and cable companies, but for individual creators like myself that are looking not only to capture correctly, modify, amplify, but also perpetuate their content. So they have a repository, an evergreen repository to build that brand on top of uh, content. So the streaming side is one thing, uh, but utilizing in the workflow, this capture, modify, amplify, and perpetuate strategy that a lot of creators may consciously or subconsciously be utilizing. How applicable is Latiku to a creator like myself?
2: Totally applicable. And, you know, I think the cool thing about Latiku is, you know, we were forged in the crucible of, you know, the most difficult customers possible, right? And, you know, that's where we started because that's where we came from. That was our life. And we saw it as our mission to make it easier for the folks who were going out and doing news like like we once did. Um, But... Having met their needs, and especially if you think about what happened, you know, in 2020 and now 2021 with COVID, um, you know, those customers and now 2022, by the way, <laughs> but but like a band aid ripped off, all of a sudden, you know, there's you know the thing that that made a TV station special for all those years. Our production studio was they had capital right to invest in this crazy expensive equipment. And the only way you could be a newspaper is to have a printing press. The only way you could be a TV station is to have the machinery and the antenna to to broadcast. And, you know, even what they discovered in 2020, 21 and 22 is guess what? They had to leave that equipment behind. And like everybody else in the world, start doing this from their living rooms. We all watch newscast produced you know, from the living rooms of, you know, the anchors homes where they lived. And so, and for Latiku, what we saw was, our usage just went through, our usage from our current customers went through the roof because now they're dependent on cloud-based workflows. Well, the beauty of that for you, David, is cloud-based workflows. What used to be crazy expensive, now is accessible kind of in the AWS model, which is our model, which is you buy a little and, you know, use a superpowered tool. And, you know, if you scale and need a lot of it, it's accessible to you, but you don't have to make that huge capital expense that you're at the front end. So that's cool. I think is you have this cutting edge tech that's now available even to, you know, folks who just have a, an idea for a business.
1: Yeah, digitization, democratization, and distribution. I mean, those three yeah, cornerstones. Uh, Peter DeMondis talks about this a lot. Yep. Um, you, you lower the cost factor, you, you, know, you make it available, and yep. you digitize it so it's you know, It's fungible in just about any format. The, the creativity that goes into that, Paul, I, I, I'm, I'm just kind of sitting back here and uh, at first blush, one of the things that comes up for me is, is a true entrepreneur isn't concerned about competing with whoever's in the, uh, the marketplace. They're actually concerned about creating, creating value. And that's exactly what it seems that uh, that you've done with Latuka. It's just, I mean, yeah, I'm just kind of trying to put my head around all of the ways that you've done this. Because, I mean, again, you know, I'm not nearly as uh, steep in it as David is right now, but yeah, I I develop content, and it's kind of like, yeah, sometimes it can be daunting to, to get it to where I want it to go, and to have this simplified in the way that you're describing it really does amaze me. Um how are people accessing this right now? I mean, and David started to talk a little bit about that and just in terms of you know individual you know content creators, but how do how people access it for you know with you and for you? And and what's the what's the uh, formulaic structure there?
2: What, what is our business model? Is that kind of yeah. what you're asking?
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, basically that's it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for putting it <laughs> <me> that
2: way. <laughs> so so at the simplest level, it's it's like a million other software as a service we are mm-hmm. a software as a service um, organization that's our business model and yeah. so at the simplest level it's a per user license just okay. like um zoom or anybody else you know you go buy a license and you have a tool and then you can use it for that purpose latiku works the same exact way most of our current customers um buy what we call a site license and and the reason is clear. If I'm selling, you know, buy a seat every time I sell it, people start counting noses and they undercount and they don't get the full utilization of the tool. And so what we really want to do, and this is, you know, to your comment there is, is we're all about providing a tool that makes people's lives better and it makes it more possible for them to do their job. We typically say, let's define what your site is. What is your business? What is your production company? You know, for in television, it's, yeah, it's kind of a question we ask: What is your budgetary unit? Which typically, for a, a station group, which is you know one organization owns a station in many cities, is a market. And then we just say, okay, let's set a parameter of conveyance and storage, which kind of meets your needs, and then remove remove the the parameters on the licenses. So everybody gets a seat. Everybody gets in: producer, editor, intern. News director, production—you know—head or production intern. Everybody gets in because then you actually have a tool that you can use. It's all private and secure, and when you want to publicize it, you can. But internally, you got a collaboration location.
0: Yeah, Paul. What I love about it is whether you know I'm broadcasting from the wind in the lobby at my studio there, or SoFi at my studio there, our new TV and movie production facility, or. In Matt's bedroom with the bed unmade, you know, <laughs> it, it, it works. It works everywhere. <laughs> it, it, it works everywhere. I, I just want to make a quick comment before I let you go to sure. Joan in the, in the green room. I, I find it fascinating. Um, I've done a lot of pitch shows from elevator pitch to two-minute drill, and I host, you know, a lot of competitions. And I always find it remarkable that usually um, moms have the ability to transition a need That from living so long, saying why doesn't anybody have a baby seat that includes a jacket so it's more safe, or you know, like all these crazy ideas, and somehow moms are capable of taking the need of a mom and turning it into a business. Uh, I find it, you know, really exciting that you've been able to do that in broadcasting and in production, uh, because I find a lot of people that have been steeped for thirty some years in a business, they don't have the vision. They just yeah. continually do accept the pain in the ass and they don't do anything about it. They don't take it to market and fix it. And I really want to commend you, uh, obviously, not only for being award winning Emmy award winning journalist, but taking you know the pain in the ass and fixing it for everyone and making a business of it. So I certainly as a content creator appreciate fully the workflow and the capability of speed, which I'll be utilizing. And I'm, right when I get off the show, Matt will be online figuring out whether we need a flight <laughs> license or a seat license. So thank you for transitioning that need into an actual product. We appreciate it.
2: Thank you, Dave. Really appreciate your your attention to this right here. Thank you.
0: Well, you got it. Check it out. Good having I'm you on the show. Washington, co-founder, CEO of Lataku, and it's home.latiku.com. Thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. Right Thanks, on. Walt. His background is much nicer than Matt's. I'll tell you that. <laughs> well... <laughs>
1: <laughs> Matt, Matt's sneaking up on him. Matt's sneaking up on him. <laughs> Give him a couple yeah. of years.
0: <laughs> it's good, but he can do full production from that uh twin bed that he has that's on me, That's amazing. All right. Yeah. We got another digital media solutions CEO here, Digital Media Solutions.com himself, Joe Marinucci. Right. Right. I wanted to say Marinucci. How are you, Joe Marinucci? I'm doing good, Dave. How are you doing? Amazing! You got a great view behind you as well. We're getting yeah. out class. Uh, it's,
3: it's it's uh it's not virtual. It's it's static. It's real. I love it. Okay, um, okay. Part of the work from home. It's <laughs> uh, part of the work from home setup.
0: You know, I I know in the digital age that people hone in on the technology and focus in on the technology. Um, but it's really interesting because your business really, although it's a digital business. Your primary concern is people. Your whole basis, it seems to me, for your digital media solution is to protect yourself, your family, and your business, but it really revolves around people come first in your business. Um, Has that always been your perspective in business or had something occurred in your journey that re-engineered what business is about to you?
3: Well, you know you're you're right digital well the name of our company is digital media solutions so it is somewhat of a self fulfilling prophecy that we do provide digital media solutions and yes we are a leading provider of technology enabled digital performance advertising solutions but without people and process and technology none of that really means anything and you know i guess you know, when you ask about like what might have changed things along the way, I guess, it, you know, it's, I, when we go back to like the beginning of COVID specifically, and I think about like a lot of the struggles that everybody had, including, you know, everybody that's listening to this podcast, you know, the thing that came to mind for me and my executive team, we were trying, we were all, everybody's dealing with something, right? And, you know, if you can, if, if you can humanize what everybody's going through by being able to, listen to what they're going through, validate whatever their concerns are, show compassion and empathy for that situation, and then proactively look to provide a solution to whatever challenge they're facing, you're going to have a really good connection with that person, whether it's in business or whether it's in your personal life. And just understanding that dynamic, I think generally works, right? And that, that's what allowed us to successfully pivot the company back at the beginning of covid know because we were thinking proactively you said it like protect yourself take care of you like if you don't take care of yourself you're in trouble take care of your family and then worry about everything else after that inclusive of the business that's kind of how it all came together
1: you know this is the 10th year anniversary of dms so congratulations on that I mean, yeah being in business
0: you're an an overnight success (laughs) yeah Yeah. a decade later
1: The, the the impact of COVID notwithstanding, I mean, the last you know, two and a half years, have just turned everything upside down. But in 10 years, yeah, digital media solutions, digital media, I mean, this space has transformed so profoundly in the last 10 years, a decade. What are some of the highlight changes that you've seen that you've been able to actually bring solutions to your customer base, your client base with that? Yeah, you couldn't have even imagined when you started 10 years ago.
3: Yeah, I mean, 10 years ago, when I think about how manual some of the processes were, as good as, you know, some of the automation tools were, we were basically 10 years ago just at the advent of what I would call even business intelligence, more, you know, algorithmic type stuff that some of the stuff lived in spreadsheets, right? And in terms of how, our media teams made decisions 10 years ago. I wouldn't say we were living out of a spreadsheet, but we were certainly closer to living out of a spreadsheet than we were to what we're leaning into right now, which is the innovation and process that comes along with the advent of artificial intelligence. And we're certainly benefiting from business intelligence and in the totality of that really helps us move at a speed that we never could have moved at 10 years ago to create more efficient, efficient, Ad serving that creates incredible ba- value for both consumers and advertisers. We were—I don't think anybody saw how fast it was going to move ten years ago, and where we are today. And then I can only imagine how fast it's going to move in the next ten years. I just accept the fact that it's going to move much faster than anybody can imagine.
0: <laughs> um,
3: yeah, know <I> what <laughs> else to
0: say? Yeah, I know. With, no, the last piece, you know, I've been in marketing and advertising. Uh, in sports and entertainment for years, and you utilize um, the word accountability uh, tied into the media dollars that are spent. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to me because, especially with digital media dollars spent, uh, let alone TV media dollars spent, let alone print media spent over the years, and radio, billboards, I've dealt with them all. There's always uh, subjectivity um, in tracking Uh, And, you know, you think in a way when we have digital media services involved that we can track exactly. But unfortunately, the size, scope and scale of the audience is uncontrollable. Um, And so the accountability factor to me is the processes of advertising more than, you know, being able to track the results. I was wondering what your perspective of, you know, being accountable to every media dollar spent. What is Does that tell when you tell me as a customer, Dave, I'm accountable for every media dollar spent, does that necessarily mean I know, hey, this ad produced this much revenue, or is there something else that's really important or that you deliver with that accountability promise?
3: So we talk about either delivering the customer or the near customer, and when you talk about accountability to the dollar, we're ultimately accountable because it's our dollar, we're spending our dollar. In order to deliver for our advertiser either the customer or the near customer so we're not getting paid until we make that delivery point and there's a there's a difference between the near customer and the customer in some instances we just can't convert the customer we do a lot of work in insurance and, and not not in all major lines are we licensed to write insurance so we need the carrier to write insurance so we'll do a handoff to their licensed agent And then they'll write the policy as an example but it's our dollar that's on the line and we're basically handing the customer off and then we're getting paid so you know it's 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 ultimate accountability because we have to be accountable because it's our dollars on the line we're not just moving the advertiser dollars through our ecosystem and in the traditional advertising agency model earning a percentage of spend no it's dms dollars on the line and then we get paid from the advertisers when we deliver the customers that they're looking to connect with
1: yeah that that's an interesting uh little twist uh in, in the traditional advertising space because like you say i mean most agencies would take a, a piece off of the uh the spend itself and just place the spend How, you know i've got to assume and yeah, not knowing this, but I've got to assume that, that when you first positioned that and, and proffered that to your clients, that that was a
3: fairly unique position for you to be taking. So the, the the digital performance advertising space has been a niche space. It's been around for I would say you know longer than ten years, uh, and it's starting to come more to the forefront now. So you know the type of service offering that we've had, which obviously you know ten years into it, um, it's it's not. A, like a last year thing, but it's starting to come more to the forefront because of what we're talking about here, the accountability to the dollar. You know, if, if the accountability to the dollar comes with a tie to a consumer coming along with that, you know, that that creates a lot of value. And then on the other side of that, we're always focused on, you know, the relevancy of ad serving because you got to create value on both sides. You can't just serve the advertiser and not the consumer you got to create value for the consumer as well and how you create value for the consumers by showing relevant ads and removing friction from the ecosystem so if you do that on both sides and you get this connection point in the middle and that and that again that's how you create value in the ecosystem and if you're doing it in a way where you're creating ultimate accountability in the ad spend that's another layer on top of that
0: and one of the other things that's interesting that shifted in your business is redefining this idea of remote company culture Um, specifically what you do has re-engineered or redefined a new culture uh, especially in the last two and a half years what are some of the things that you've done to shape and redefine the new uh, higher order of our company culture
3: so you know we made a pretty aggressive shift early on like many companies did and we realized we were going to have to send everybody home and in doing that, you know, there was, there was a crisis management element to it early in the pandemic where you want to make a plan that's going to stand up to whatever the crisis is. So you've you got to have a, a really well-developed plan, which is kind of hard to, to put together when you're just dealing with such a massive unknown, which is what we were dealing with two years ago. But our team did a great job with that. And then what, what was the cornerstone of this plan was to over-communicate with everybody. There was no level that we wouldn't go to from a communication perspective to make sure that we maintained a connected workforce. Because the one thing we knew we would lose when we sent everybody home was that connection that people get from being in an office. So we knew that if we could do the best job that we possibly could to keep people in a connected ecosystem, albeit virtually, that that would solve a lot of our problems. So. One of the things that we instituted, there were many things that we instituted, but one of the things that we instituted that we still do to this day, because we are almost entirely remote still, and we likely will stay that way, is we do a weekly, what we used to call town hall, which we now call a huddle. but it's every week. It's myself, it's the chief operating officer and other executives in the company. We bring the whole company together. We put them in a town hall format where we give them a weekly update. We go through the most important things that are impacting the business we take questions, sometimes we do awards, we do a variety of things, and we leverage this communication strategy that we developed, which is to over-communicate, leverage systems like the best video technology we can, to put people as as much as they as much as you can in front of each other so they see each other and to maintain that connection. So over-communicate. That was one of the strategies yeah. that we employed, that we still employ to this day. And now we're, I think we're 90 town halls into our town hall strategy. Again, we call it the huddle now, but 90 of these things tracking all the way back to March of 2020. That's,
1: yeah. That's, yeah, the, the remote work is is really interesting. I, yeah, when I was doing some work with Nokia back in the uh, 1990s, that's when they first started, when we really, I, I, I you know, teamed up with a you know, person by the name of Jessica Lipnack. And you know, Jessica wrote, she and her late husband wrote, one of the very first books on remote teams, remote structures. And we brought some uh, very interesting concepts in, but the key to it was communication. Yeah, and I'm, I'm struck by over-communicating. It really isn't over-communicating. It seems like it, but it's it's absolutely the lifeblood of a, of a relationship. Communication you know, is the lifeblood of the relationship. And if I, you're I not in communication, it's all, it's all yeah all, all bets are off.
0: Now, sorry for interrupting because I just have to... Yeah through personal experience. It's funny because I have, you know, my huddles three times a week and, you know, I used to define it as over communicating and then I switched to effective communication and it lost something. Uh, it, it really did. Because I think the the nuance of teaching people, look, you cannot over communicate. Yeah. Right. You know, and especially yeah. with the different mediums that we have, you know, I can't tell you how many people place, on to me, the inefficiencies in which they communicate by saying, I know you're busy. I know you're right. Or oh, I didn't do it because I didn't want to bother you. Th- that's the biggest horseshit thing in a business that I can't stand, right? It's like, you're now, I'm in charge here and you're telling me that I'm not accessible to you because you think I'm too productive, accessible, and gracious, I'm too busy or unavailable or you don't want to offend me by trying to help us make money together. Um, so I think over-communicating is an exceptional way of of teaching, especially younger people, uh, how to communicate effectively. Mm-hmm. And uh, I unfortunately, again, I'm run, running out of time. Joe Marinucci, Joe, the no. man himself, DMS, traded on the New York Stock Exchange, by the way. DMS is the symbol. CEO of Digital Media Solutions, an incredible entrepreneur. Putting people first is what I most love about what you do and you personally. So come back and join us, my friend. Congratulations on all your overnight success in the last decade.
3: I appreciate <laughs> it. Have a great show today. Thank you so much for your great. time.
0: You got it, brother. Thank great you. Deal. Be Take well. Care. All right. And we are back great. up again. Always loaded. I love this name, Maxim Wheatley. Head Maxim of product Wheatley, and marketing yeah. For Miracle and Remote Rated. Mer- Mary.co remote rated.com. Uh, Maxim, welcome to Office Hours.
4: Thanks so much for having me, Dave. Great to be here.
0: Well, you, you. you're your your new product, uh, Dev Lake, uh, is kind of like it seems to me an incredible remote job rating site, kind of the glass door of the future. Um, and I kind of wanted to get your insight on how you're measuring you know, this uh, rating that is given to the remote uh, sites that exist.
4: Absolutely. Yeah. Well, this is certainly a topic that, you know, I've been thinking a great deal about and we're really excited about as a company. So, you know, a quick bit of background on, you know, the two two products here and what makes them so interesting and exciting in, and certainly in my opinion. Um, so, our product at its core, you know, is much like a Google analytics for engineering teams, right? We, we noticed this really important void in the market here where, you know, most everybody can look at a website and understand the need to have insights and analytics on it, right? You need to understand why is it performing or why is it not performing? And nearly everybody has analytics on their technology, but surprisingly, certainly to us, very few companies have analytics on the people that are building that technology. And it's not just to understand, you know, who's doing a bad job, right? People get anxious about being measured. It's it's more importantly to figure out where things are going what, right and why, so you can double down on those strengths, so you can celebrate accomplishments, so you can help people. And we were very fortunate in the sense that the pandemic came along and really accelerated our business. You know, in the period since I joined, you know, about three years ago, I joined at five people. We're now at about 75 people. Um, the pandemic has certainly helped that in a, in a kind of perverse way. But we really kind of have built technology to help teams understand what's going on with their engineering organizations, uh, whether or not they're all in the same building or whether they're scattered across the globe. Um, that kind of remote aspect is something that, you know, we really focus a lot on. And that brings us to, you know, this fun play toy that we've developed on the side, uh, remoterated.com, which you mentioned where you know, as we've been servicing this remote use case, we realized how many people were actually you know, really excited and interested to figure out like, who are the bad companies? Who are the great companies? And why are they good or bad? You know, the, the, the things that make up a good remote company vary dramatically, and they're not necessarily the same things you'll see on Glassdoor. So we, we went and built that. Um, so you know, Merico is an analytics company, remote rated as a remote glass door. Um, but ultimately the theme is the same, empowering remote work. You say it's they're, they're not, these remote companies
1: are not the same. What, what's the What's the major difference that you're noticing or that your analytics are showing you is actually present?
4: Yeah, I think it's a really great question. You know, I think I've interviewed, you know, probably now three dozen remote CEOs to really crack this code. You know, we obviously have some insights from our own analytics and reviews And, you know, the things that stand out are surprisingly simple, right? You know, I think it boils down to, you know, clear communication, you know, and the way I would define clear communication is, you know, having set principles, having set guidelines around how the company communicates. So the companies that really struggle, you know, there's people sending text messages, there's people sending emails, blasting each other on Slack, and the great companies have a really regimented approach to how they're doing this. So they have clear definitions. If you're solving a group problem, it happens in a Slack channel. It doesn't happen one-to-one. If you're giving feedback, you know, it happens via Zoom or it happens via phone call. If you're communicating documents, it's happening through email. This kind of framework, you know, as simple as it sounds, we've found, you know, is a really common ingredient to the best companies. I think the the other aspect, you know, that we we have certainly identified, you know, as companies that are prioritizing asynchronous collaboration wherever they can, which means having a really fabulous document-driven approach to things, making sure you're really meticulous about how, when, and where in-person collaboration is happening, that you're not just wearing people out, forcing them into synchronous meetings just for the sake of having FaceTime. We've found that the companies that are doing that are finding ways to have their employees work during their best hours. You know, they're not stuck to a specific schedule. They're working when they're most effective, not when the company wants them to be effective. They're not getting burned out. They're attracting people who are top players because they're autonomous and they have a great deal of care and pride in their work. So there's so many things, but I would say, you know, if I was to share two tips with any CEO across the planet, It would be those two things you know identify how you're driving an asynchronous collaborative culture that's document driven how you're empowering autonomous work for your you know your individual contributors and then from a communication perspective don't leave anything to chance make sure people understand how and what gets communicated through which channels and when
0: you know maxim when when blaine and i started working there were certain companies that you knew were great companies because the employees, if they left, it was either because they died or they retired. That was the only way you were leaving the company. And I don't think there's one company that that's true in, in all of maybe the world now. Um, and unfortunately, the rating systems of, of how companies are rated a lot of times uh, are one, you know, usury and unfair in the fact that they're taking comments from people that have lost their job or left their job. And a high percentage of people that lose their job or leave their job are, you know, more on the complaining side than the gracious side. Uh, in you know, Glassdoor, for example, which I'm not a huge fan of, uh, I think the, the benefit I have for Glassdoor is anyone that believes the BS on that site, uh, and doesn't, you know, want to work for my company, for example, they're protecting me from that type of person because I don't want that type of person that would believe. You know, complaining of, of somebody for nonsensical reasons, a company that then comes to you and says, hey, we'll take those down. If, if you uh, subscribe to Glassdoor, we'll protect you from these disgruntled employees or whatever. Um, and so what makes what you're doing in the rating systems different? You know, it seems as if, you know, it's driven by the ownership. But how do we get back to, hey, here's the retention rate and the engagement rate? Because to me. You know, I have a very high percentage of retention and a huge engagement advantage. I get the most productivity. You know, people are amazed how few people actually run my huge company because they're so engaged and productive. But I don't see any sites out there, whether remote or not, being able to delve into those two very important criteria.
4: Yeah, no, I think those are really excellent points, Dave. You know, I think... When we, when we were really architecting the ratings criteria for rated.com, you know, we, we really tried to focus on what are the attributes that make or break, you know, a great remote experience. And we landed on a couple of variables that we felt were really important. Um, remote leadership, you know, is obviously a key piece. And, and we really define that as being, you know, a commitment from executive leadership to driving a remote culture, driving a remote first, you know, set of processes um, and leaving no ambiguity on the table as far as you know a remote transformation may be concerned. Many companies, of course, you know, six percent of the workforce give or take a couple of years ago that were remote. Now it's well over 45 percent. Um, so many of the companies we're talking about are not remote first; they're remote transformed. So commitment to that is something we rate. Um, we also focus on transparency. You know, we find a lot of issues with companies who could otherwise be great. But develop cultures, you know, of siloing or not sharing information or failing to communicate decisions or get employee input on things. Um, that transparency is another piece that we wanted to focus on. Another part, which you know, I would like to dig in on that you made reference to there, you know, about kind of churn, right? So few companies are able to hold employees for years and years, let alone decades. Like we you know, would love to see and and, you know, for many people was a reality back in the fifties, you know, and beyond, right? Um and we find that so many employees are leaving because of a lack of career development. And lack of career development can certainly be massively exasperated in a remote setting, right? There's there's no serendipity for me to, you know, come across and say, Hey Dave, like I I heard this project I was walking by the room that sounds interesting. could I dive into that or hey I'm struggling with this can you know you teach me how to solve that or you know have that kind of candid rapport driven dynamic where I can say like hey I think I'm ready for the next level how can we get me promoted? Um, that stuff doesn't happen so organically in a remote setting. so we we also focused a lot on remote career development. And we're certainly finding you know, two things that I think are really interesting. The best companies on a Remote Rated are the companies that are excelling at really regimenting that approach to career development. They're doing skip levels. They're doing coaching. They're spending money to bring in mentors. They're putting stipends together for people to buy books, to do courses, to develop. And they're making sure to put really clear pathways together for people to rise up the ranks, earn more money, earn more responsibilities. And that's really, really essential. And I think, you know, a big part of what we're seeing with this quote, unquote, great resignation, you know, is the aftermath of the companies who are failing at this, you know, all of a sudden, they can't just skate by with these serendipitous band-aid approaches that we had for in person work, all of a sudden, if there were issues, or if there wasn't a proper approach to this, they're exposed, people are feeling it, they're leaving because they know they have to do that to accelerate their careers. So. Yeah, we focus on those things, transparency, leadership, career development, and then, of course, remote benefits, which I could talk a lot about, too. You know, all of these different things that, you know, specifically address the needs and wants of great remote workers. You
1: know, the idea of the great resignation, and David's heard me talk about this. I see it more as a great reclamation than a great resignation. Um, People reclaiming their lives in some very interesting ways. Something came across one of my news feeds, um, I think it was yesterday. That the primary driver, there's a number of drivers, but the primary driver is not wages. The primary driver is the toxicity of the existing workforce, uh, workplace, toxic, toxic workplaces. People are at home; they're remote. Their homes aren't toxic in the sense that uh, you know you would find in many, in many work workplaces. Uh, my boss is me. Yeah, I'm, I'm a nice guy. I, I get along with me pretty well. Uh, you know all that stuff. But the challenge is autonomy. Uh, yeah, people value autonomy, they value being in control, they value being able to make decisions. And for the, a very large number of folks, I don't think that there's an experience about how to do that effectively. So yeah. one of the things that I hear you speaking about is being able to provide containers, and I say, and I use the word container very loosely here, but, but a, a way to frame uh, what I'm doing, how I'm doing, and why I'm doing what I'm doing. So that it actually makes sense for you. and that's one of the things that a work, you know, formal workplace would provide is that container. Without a container, things just kind of drip, and there, there's no way to you know, actually hold it together. So I'm just curious, just in terms of some of the uh, the work that you're doing, how was that you know, for my word, uh, my framing of it? You know, how's that container process actually being developed, or is it being recognized as being needing to be developed?
4: Yeah, no, I think all of those are really interesting points, Blaine. And, you know, I want to kind of go back to the beginning of your statement and and work my way through it a little bit. You know, I like this point that you made about, you know, the great reclamation, you know, as much as anything. And certainly one way I think about this and I think how the best companies are thinking about this, you know, is. We, we all are deeply familiar with, you know, all of this modern tech, right? Um, but I think we all often forget how new it is. You know, the collaboration capabilities of Zoom, Slack, email are arguably less than 25 years old, at least in their really kind of mature form, right? And we act like they've been around here forever. And I think what the pandemic really did for us is it allowed for us to hit this reset button, where before we were trying to kind of technologies into old frameworks and processes, The great companies have now had this opportunity to kind of start from scratch and say, okay, we have all of this capability. We have all of this utility. What does a modern workplace look like maximizing the capabilities of these things? And I think what that really shows is in many cases, right, the the nine to five is no longer necessary. A lot of in-person collaboration, maybe not necessary. A lot of processes, perhaps not necessary. And I think the best companies are really seizing this as an opportunity to say, hey how can we just maximize the output how can we maximize the results independently of what that looks like harnessing all of the capabilities of these things and i i think that's really really exciting for you know great entrepreneurs and great leaders it's something i think about a tremendous amount which is you know how can we liberate our team as much as we possibly can and i think that's ultimately one of the drivers of our technology that we're building that i find so exciting you know is it isn't about making people work harder or work more hours. In fact, it's the very, very opposite. It's figuring out how can you quadruple down here on the best practices? How can you figure out where that eighty-twenty rule is applying so that you can unlock more time, so that you can reclaim your life? You know, and I think the best companies are seeing that, hey, we can get stupendous results from sub 40-hour work weeks in many cases, or with less structured work weeks. know and i think you know if there's an opportunity for me to short sell the companies that are doing the opposite i certainly would
0: (laughs) yeah and you're doing a great job maxim wheatley thank you for joining us he is the head of product and market marketing for americo uh and understanding remote working at its greatest core of critical business issues and future perspectives so I uh, hope a lot of people are listening and utilizing the methodology uh, that you guys have presented. So thanks for joining us and enlightening us on what will certainly be even a greater critical business issue in the future.
4: Absolutely. Yeah, really grateful for the time today, Dave. And for anyone listening, reach out to me. We'd be happy
0: to help you with any of your remote engineering needs. Love it. Thank you so much. We got some more for you, by the way. Thank you, Maxim. All right. Cleaning up for this powerful lineup today. Hey, hey. Uh, another great founder. (laughs) I think only Peter. is Peter and Peter. Peter. Ah. It looks like it's Peter today. So we have uh, Peter O. Estevez. I did that the other day. I was uh, on the wrong person on the wrong sheet. Even worse than just missing out on someone. But he's the chairman of the board at Blue Sky Bioenergy. He is close friends with many of our friends, Blaine. And uh, we have a huge event coming up uh, with Peter, which is Excellent day! It's the first ever Latin leadership and personal development global summit uh, coming up in a couple days in January fifteenth with one of my best friends, Tim Story, Uh, and I can't or wouldn't want to miss Peter uh, himself and Tim on the same stage. What a great lineup that is! And uh, of course, Selena will be there with you as well. Welcome to Office Hours, Peter.
1: And we need to have you take. uh, You're 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 muted.
0: We're, we're, we're a good warm-up for a couple of days from now. Here you, there you go. go. <laughs> Welcome.
5: <laughs> Hello, David. Thank you for the intro. Hello, Ben. Uh, uh, great to meet you, and thank you for having me. A uh, couple of corrections. The event is actually February 19.
0: Oh, uh, wow. OK. It so yeah.
5: has, has changed to February 19 at the Warrior Studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. And we're really, really, really excited. Uh, we hope to see you there and have you on the stage as well, David.
0: You betcha! That's, that's my place. Now that it's the nineteenth, I can make it. So this is right after Super Bowl. We'll be right there. I have a studio at the Win as well, so I have to pull you into the studio in the lobby of the Win that I have there for some extra content to promote that.
5: Uh, we're yeah. excited, looking forward to it, and and you'll have me there. I'm there. I'm in. One hundred percent in.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, give us some background on the event. Uh, yeah, we'll I, I,
5: you know, absolutely. You know, Excelente is the first ever leadership. And personal development global summit for the Latin community. As you and I discussed a few months ago in Miami, David, when we bumped into each other at another event, you know, personal development and emotional intelligence has been mainstream in America for many, many years. Uh, Mm -hmm. Obviously, as a result of social media has been digitized, uh, democratized and demonetized, so it's actually readily available to almost everybody. You know, every day we get some bites from David, from Grant Cardone, from Tony Robbins, and from many of the incredible thought leaders that have paved the way uh, for for the teachings of personal development. Unfortunately, uh, in the Latino culture, it's not mainstream. Okay, uh, the the millennial generation, the Jay Zer generation, the younger generations have been exposed to it, but have not really connected uh, with, with, with the personal development space. And primarily is because we are lacking, um, we are lacking, um, uh, uh, leadership in that space. We're lacking speakers that, that would be able to, uh, uh, that would be able to, to, that they can identify with, you know, I, I was introduced to the space about 14 years ago. I've been a student at the space uh, for, for about 14 years. You know, I have one of those stories that I came to America at the age of 13 year, uh, at the age of 10 years old. I'm one of 13 children, mom and dad was 15 of us, you know, uh, blue collar family, uh, moved into a two bedroom, one bath home, uh, less than 900 square feet. I often said that I was so poor, I couldn't afford a dream. But the reality is that I went out there and I looked for mentors, even when the war was not as relevant or as important as it is today, right? We don't I didn't know what a mentor was, but I was looking for people outside of my nucleus that were doing better than me, that dressed better than me, that drove more cars than me, they spoke better than me, that were uh, that 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 achieved a certain level of success. Uh and, and at some point I was able to break the throes of poverty. And really amass uh, a small fortune, for lack of a better word. Uh, But I still, but I still had the same social conditioning that I had adopted from my parents, that they adopted from their parents, that their parents adopted from their parents, so on and so so forth. So I still had the same uh, survival thinking. I still had the scarcity mindset. I still had the limited belief system. I still had a lot of the self-destructive behaviors, and I kept thinking taking those behaviors into the boardroom, into the marriage, into the partnerships, into the relationships, into everything that I went to, wherever I went there, I was, right? So it was not until I was introduced into the personal development space that I realized a lot of the issues that I had unresolved, that I had not dealt with, including emotional intelligence. And I went into some deep work. I've done work with Tony Robbins. I've done work with uh, Les Brown, Lisa Nichols, Jim Quick, uh, and a lot of our great friends, Robin Sharma, You know, uh, a a lot of the people that we all know that have paved the way uh, in the space and that have really uh, transformed the lives of many. But one thing, one common thread that I kept seeing as I travel my journey to personal development was that there was no one out there that looked like me, that spoke like me, that sounded like me, that had an accent like me uh, that I could identify with. There was a missing link, okay? And what, what Selena, Tim, and I are hoping to identify is to be able to identify, uh, be able to educate, be able to transform and later empower other speakers, leaders that can go back into those stages, that can go back into the communities and they can bring the message. So there's not other little Peters that go screwing up the marriages, the relationships, the <laughs> partnerships, the businesses.
0: What a great question. Wow. And welcome Selena, by the way. Uh, yes. We are in a little bit late, but we could not, we would be, at a loss if we didn't have you here although uh you don't look like the rest of us uh you may sound like us but you yourself are highly qualified as well to set a standard i call people like peter and you milestones uh there's plenty of people like Blaine and i who have had eight and nine figure careers and stand to help elevate others but it's a whole different story uh, when you as a latin woman uh and peter uh can be milestones for kids to say hey if she can do it i can do it and i think mm-hmm. that's one of the most important things that i found in sports with especially my business partner warren moon uh you know the first real great african-american quarterback the only one in the hall of fame that you know many kids today don't even think about black quarterbacks anymore they just think about quarterbacks right and uh good ones and bad ones the, uh, that's about how they evaluate them uh but it's so important for this event in February to take place for that milestone reason. I'm going to butt in with a quick question, Blaine, for Selena since she came on. Yep. Um, do you recognize, number one, the idea and importance that you uh, have on your shoulders of being that milestone? And two, you know, what are you doing uh, in anticipation of being able to elevate others to elevate yourself?
6: So, thank you so much for having us, first of all. And I am sweating over here with my internet issues. So, I do apologize for that.
0: Um, we do this every day. So, the internet screws up every day. Every day.
6: I can either blame COVID or the internet for everything. In my there you
0: go. Wrong. Or your mom. Don't forget your mom. Everybody <laughs> can blame mom. your mom.
6: Who, by the way, is taking care of my kids right now. <laughs> uh, So, yes, you know, to answer your question, I'm very familiar with your work, David, as well. And, you know, you talk a lot about how when you figure it out, there is a formula to create what you want in life and having that power. And so much of that is being able to see it. And as someone who I am not a visual uh there's different types of manifestors that i just learned about there's passive and there's something else i'm not a visual manifestor so when people are like picture the exact you know what the steps will look like and the car and then this and that i mean peter knows when people are like if you could be anywhere where would you be and i'm like right here because that's where i am you know so <laughs> so it's always it has been so hard for me when you know this whole like if you, if you can see it then you can have it. But if you can't see it, then you can't have it. And what I love about what we're doing is we're giving people another picture. We're giving them another thing to put into their mind and not just us, but the people that we're going to celebrate and the people like you guys that are supporting this. That's huge to know as a young person that not only do you now have a visual, but you also have information about all these different types of people that you thought for some reason, maybe they intimidated you or maybe they made you play small, but instead they're actually trying really hard to be the wind at your back. Like that's incredibly empowering.
1: That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. That whole idea of visualization, Selena. I, I love that. Yeah. And there's a, there's a phrase in King Lear, Shakespeare's uh, classic where Gloucester is uh, being questioned by King Lear and King and Gloucester is blind. And he's saying, How do you see? And he says, I see feelingly. And that's the key. You know, yeah. You see feelingly. And this is how you live into these these visions of of, of what can be. I feel my way into it. Or, and I feel my way from it. So I, yes. I love what you're up to with this. This is beautiful.
0: Yeah. Well, this and I be- love sorry, David. I was gonna say be clear, it's clairvoyant or clairsentient. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will, I just want to add this, you know, one of the reasons I love having Blaine on my show is there's nobody else on the internet that has anyone that uses analogies to Marcus Aurelius or Shakespeare uh, anymore or, or, and so like, I just love the fact that my my partner here in crime is still bringing up the classics and (laughs) making them applicable to uh, all the young great leaders like you, Selena. So this is beautiful. (laughs)
6: <laughs> yeah, and also the 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 leaders that are still very much caught in the analytical parts of their brain. So when I hear people like you use those you know those analogies, Peter knows immediately. I'm thinking of oh, my husband would would think this guy's really smart, and then listen to what <laughs> he has to say. You know? <laughs> it's a great disarming tactic for people that are still. You know, trying
0: to make logical sense of everything. <laughs> Beautiful, Blen. Uh, you have a question, or well, I mean? I'm just yeah, I'm just I the tons. format
1: of of, of uh, Excelente. I mean, is it is it one day? Is, I mean, I'm just, and I'm asking for those that are looking to register and just kind of be a part of this. What are they gonna What are they gonna be witnessing? uh as they as they come into this. And I'm asking in part for me as well. Selena, you want
5: to take that, or you want me to take that?
6: I'm gonna let you take it. <laughs> yeah,
5: I, I, actually, actually, we are creating uh, a total of three events. And the first, there's there's two events that are free events: our uh, February event, and then there's a March event, and then there's a that lead to a three day event. Okay, picture 10x for the Latin community, right? So the, the three day event is going to be a series of celebrities. That uh that we will feature their stories and how they have overcome a lot of the challenges to be able to become uh mainstream and become relevant. The 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 first two events, the February event, is a three-hour event. Uh starts at nine o'clock in the morning, it goes on to 12 noon uh central standard time. And that event is we we're gonna feature, for example, we have Richard Montañez, and Richard Montañez is a very, very successful Latino. Uh the, the creator behind the flaming hit uh, uh, Hot Cheetos. Uh, I'm on the whole line for the Frito-Lay company uh, that that end up becoming a, a brand, of a multi-billion dollar brand, okay? So he's one of our keynote speakers and many other speakers that have very similar, they have traveled a very similar journey and were able to overcome uh, a lot of the challenges of adversity the challenges of poverty the challenges of 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 uh of not being enough the imposter syndrome a lot of the the issues that that many of us that have jumped into the space have faced right and i think that's the reason why why we embody the work that we want to do now because we have faced those challenges so uh as part of a keynote speaking and a round table uh followed by many stories like that beautiful
0: Join them at excellenteevent.com. We are going to have you guys back. I got multiple shows to have you on. We're going to promote this event. It's very important to me personally. I know it is to Blaine as well. So uh, although we got cheated out of time with Selena, Peter, please make sure that we book some other shows as well. And uh, anything I can do will be of service. Uh, This is part of my mission to empower others, to empower others, to be happy, to make a lot of money, to help a lot of people and have a lot of fun. Thank you for all you're doing to elevate others. Thank you. Thank
5: you. And be,
1: you, be very willing to reach out to me as well. Absolutely. Thank
5: you, Love you, so much, Thank you David. Great seeing you, David. Talena Great Bacon. seeing you
0: guys. We'll, we'll see you soon. We'll have you back. Thank you. Bye. Awesome. I I, I almost want my takeaway to the uh, for the day to be yeah. I don't have enough time for each of these guests because sure. every guest, every I'm like, time. I could, you know, we, I, I wish I had more time. That's all I, it's almost my takeaway, but I'm going to let you give. Your real takeaway for the day.
1: <laughs> my, my real one. Uh, you know, kind of the theme of our first three guests, digital, was running all the way through it. Digitization, democratization, and distribution. I mean, those three. And I mean, that's not unique. I mean, I didn't invent that. Peter Diamandis, I, when I was talking to him a long time ago, he, he brought this up in a conversation about access, about what what is going to change the world. What is going to change the way that business is conducted and the way that life is lived? Digitization, democratization, and uh, distribution drives the price point down, makes it accessible. And what I'm excited about, um, uh, um, excelente, is it is is it's it's actually kind of a convergence play where a lot of things can go on. And yeah, I'm going to ramble here just a little bit, but the idea of taking these modalities if you will and then finding ways to make them present because you know you're going to be witnessing not just live uh, at, at Excellente, but you're going to be able to access it digitally and it's going to you know democratize the distribution of content from a personal development standpoint into the Latin you know, uh, uh, community to to uh, to, uh, to Peter's point here just make it accessible and I mean, I love how all of this stuff comes together. I am so excited about 2022. I can't hardly stand it. I really am. I'm. St- I, I, I feel like a kid in the candy store right now, and uh, that's where you, I'm at.
0: You nailed it for me too. As my birthday it was a couple of days ago, and I, I know thinking, it was. Yeah. I, I, I've always felt <laughs> you were the strawberries. Amazing, thank you. It's just, I don't know why you have two dozen. It's a. <laughs> uh, but moreover, yeah. Uh, I just feel so blessed. And I think, you know, my takeaway speed for the day is like the speed in which things are occurring. You know, I think about you and I and how we grew up and, you know, it's amazing with the speed in which everything can happen that people don't have enough time. Um, And, you know, it's interesting that all of the guests today are trying to apply our why to a time of activity that is meaningful, purposeful, passionate, collaborative, coordinated, all the different adjectives that you and I have preached and been taught and resource everywhere. So speed is something uh, that we can utilize for more time or it can actually take away from our time. And I want everyone to see how the utilization of speed uh, can be for productiveness, for accessibility, and especially for gratitude. I'm extremely grateful for you, my friend. We ran a little bit over and we could have run an hour over with these extraordinary guests. learnblamebartlettcom forward slash 60 day. Check him out. It will change your life. Be intentional about what you do. And I will see you soon, my friend.
1: Okay, buddy. You take care. Love, Love to you.
0: you. Thank you for the great gifts. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'm getting fat. who? Why does everybody think I need cookies and strawberries with chocolate on them and, Can't you just give me cash? I mean, honestly, let's just be honest. Give me some real value, something that I can use not to get fat. Anyway, thank you, Matt, for the gold coin you gave me. Very much appreciated the real value of gold over chocolate. Uh, But Marshall Falk, thank you for the cookies. Blaine and Cynthia, thank you for the strawberries. I love you. And Julie hates you for it, but I love you. Um, Anyway. Okay, I'm going over time and I'm rambling. I must have caught the blame Bartlett disease here. I'm sorry. What am I going to say? Training tomorrow, 7 a.m. Pacific time. 12 lessons of life. Join me, David at dmelzer.com. Over 60,000 people registered for all the free trainings. We're going on 22 years of training. David at dmelzer.com. 12 lessons of life tomorrow. But most importantly, Be kind to your future self and do good deeds. We'll see you tomorrow.